Hello, and welcome to this week's Art Dirt Podcast at Glass Tire, where we discuss topical art topics. I am Christina Reese. And I'm Brandon Zeck. Uh, This week, we are going to talk about, um, essentially, how do we make Texas an international art destination? Now, I mean, some would argue that Texas already is an international art destination, and some would argue that we're still a long way off. Uh, They both have their points. One of the things that made me think about this for a topic was, and I honestly, and apologies in advance, I don't remember where I read this. Somebody on social media, and I can't even say if it's Facebook or Instagram, posted something about um, Sculpture Month Houston and the silos, which uh, this is an annual event. It takes place in October and November. Um, the big uh, site silos uh, at Sawyer Yards is one of the primary spots for Sculpture Month Houston. They bring in sculptors from all over Texas to fill these big, interesting spaces. We've written about it before. We've we've done a lot on it. I love the silos. But this person, whoever it was, again, apologies, was was writing about what it what it would be like if Sculpture Month Houston was big enough and ambitious enough to really, really, really put Houston on the map, not just now even internationally possibly as a destination for people to show up and look at what's happening uh, with art in Texas and I thought this was compelling and it made me think back to an essay uh, that Rainey Knudsen wrote uh, for Glass Tire um, in the summer of 2018 she called it the MFAH's folly and it was about how this um campus expansion of the Museum of Fine Arts Houston costing 450 million dollars other ways that that half a billion dollars could be used uh, throughout the city of Houston to uh, increase Houston's visibility as an art city and also increase the accessibility of art for Houston's various communities. When I read that comment on social media and I reread Rainey's essay, I just I found the entire thing compelling and it made me think about Dallas and how twice a year uh, in April because of our art fair and in October because of a big gala that takes place called Two by Two, which is for AIDS and art, it brings in people internationally. We have uh, dealers and artists and collectors coming in from all over. Um, they descend on Dallas and then there's a week's worth of parties and events and things that happen. Some of them are down at the grassroots level and it's kind of for the younger, scrappier people to go hang out and drink and have fun and look at cool stuff. And some of it is at the very kind of high end black tie level. But regardless, there are these two weeks that we just, Dallas just braces itself for this big international crowd coming in. Um, what do you think about what do you think about everything that I just said, Brandon? Where where are you on this? I mean, it also made me think about some other events that happen in other Texas cities that some of them are more uh, art based and some of them are less so. Like South by Southwest is a, uh, an event that isn't necessarily visual art in the way we typically think of it, but it's starting to incorporate more interactive art and modeling and VR and that kind of thing, um, which of course is in Austin and is an international event. Uh, it made me think of PhotoFest in Houston, which I know we've talked about recently on the podcast, but it is. Um, an international event that brings in portfolio reviewers and artists from everywhere across the world for this really prestigious uh, portfolio session. Um, I feel like Christina, you and I are both, you and I are both always kind of on the side of advocating for Texas. And I feel like 
the two of us might both agree that Texas is an international arts destination, but it's maybe not recognized as such. Um, you know, Houston being the fourth largest city in America and also having the, I think it's the second most wealthy or the second most well-endowed museum um, in the country, we kind of have this this underdog sense about us uh, in Texas that isn't recognized as much by people in other places. I do have to say, kind of as a way of commenting on this, when I was growing up, I grew up in Sugarland, which is a suburb of Houston. You know, it's about 35 minutes outside of the city. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I didn't know anything about Houston as a city. I was growing up in a suburb and I wanted to leave and I thought I wanted to leave Houston but it turns out I wanted to leave Sugarland. Sugarland is a perfectly nice place. Um it's an amazingly diverse city for a suburb, but at the same time I I didn't quite know what was at my fingertips or just kind of down the street from my front door in terms of the city of Houston. Um Christina before we started this podcast I was talking to you about my kind of engagement with art growing up and I didn't know anything about art really until I took an art history course in high school. And my, mm-hmm. uh, at least what I can recall, my first trip to the museum, uh, the Museum of Fine Arts Houston, wasn't until after that course was either finished or in progress. Um, and definitely my first trip to the Menil, uh wasn't until much later than that. And I didn't know that all of these things were around because they were so far down the street from my front door. You know, when you're a 16-year-old kid, you might go across town to see something, but I wasn't going to drive to Houston in a time where there was no GPS and I didn't know where I was going and my parents didn't really know where the museum was, or if they did, you know, we never really went that much or talked about it. Um, So, I mean, I grew up (laughs) near one of the best art scenes in... uh, America and I had no idea. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, I I've lived in Brooklyn and in a neighborhood where nobody ever went into Manhattan ever. Um, you know, they had never been to the Metropolitan Museum of Art or. Uh, but that so we're really talking about two or three different kinds of things here. One is you know the accessibility of art or the visibility of art to our own communities. Um, how visible is it? In Rainey's piece, the essay that she wrote about the MFAH's folly, she comes up with different ways to use $450 million. One of them is decentralizing the museum. What does it look like if the Museum of Fine Arts Houston took that kind of money, crazy crazy money, and decided instead of expanding its own campus, it decided to put art out into the various communities in its in this region uh, in the form of sort of almost like creative time projects. Um, would a very young Brandon Zeck have been exposed to good art earlier on? Would it have made an impact? You know, I grew up in Irving, Texas. Um, I was I know, I understand how lucky I was that I had a mom who insisted on taking me to museums from a very young age. Um, I also know a lot of friends who didn't really start going to museums until high school or college, and they ended up being artists. But that's one issue. The other issue is what is the visibility of Texas's art scenes, discrete art scenes, uh, to people outside of Texas, uh, to people in London or Paris or Tokyo uh, or Hong Kong? I mean, do they think about Texas and art in the same sentence ever? Well, and this is a conversation that I've had with multiple people in terms of um, looking at coverage of artists who either live in Texas or work in Texas, but are showing elsewhere. A lot of times the coverage about artists like that, uh, 
a name that immediately comes to mind is Trenton Doyle Hancock, who's an artist who is based in Houston, um, is that looking at that coverage in other outlets, I compare it to coverage of other artists. So for example, uh, a lot of coverage of Trenton will call him an artist and will talk about his work and do all of the great things and analyze what he does, but it will never say he is a Houston-based artist or a Texas-based <laughs> artist. It never kind of has that nomenclature around it. Whereas yeah, yeah, right, right. if I'm reading an art publication and there's an artist where I've never heard of or, you know, they're objectively maybe less well-known than Trenton or, you know, something to that extent, they will be called a New York-based artist or their studio in New York will be mentioned or their studio in L.A. will be mentioned. And it kind of has this pedigree around it because New York and L.A. are kind of considered the centers in the U.S. And then if someone is based elsewhere, it's not really mentioned that much. This is a public perception issue that I feel just radiates really strongly. Of course, I only notice it with Texas artists. This could very well happen with artists who are based in Ohio and Iowa and all of these other areas. But I notice it time and time again with Texas artists. And I feel like this is something that we as Glass Tire are continuously pushing back against. And I know when I was writing more regularly for the site before I became the site's publisher, I always made sure to mention where an artist was based, be it in Lufkin or Corpus Christi, or I always kind of made that effort because these cities do have really great artists that are respected elsewhere, but a lot of times that light isn't really shown on where they're from or where they work. Right. I think the 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 need for people to mention where artists are from, especially if they are LA or New York based and it's a US publication that's doing it, a lot of it, that's a, that's a market-driven kind of concession. It's like, we need to tell everyone that they're from New York. Um, that makes it seem more important. Or we need to tell them, we need to tell everyone where you got your MFA. You know, it ha if it's RISD, okay, let's mention it. But if it's not, let's, let's not, let's not bring it up. Well, in that regard also, I, I think I was uh, watching the Julian Schnabel biopic, whatever. And, you know, Julian Schnabel went to the University of Houston to get his degree. And I'm not sure, I, I don't think it was ever mentioned. Someone might correct me on that. But if it was mentioned, it wasn't, you know, <laughs> it wasn't given any weight or importance at all because it's almost like he did this thing and had this amazing career despite not going to Yale. A lot of people, I don't think, mentioned that Jeremy Deprez, who's one of the maybe more prominent artists in the last five years to come out of Houston. He went to the University of Houston for his MFA. The MFA argument is a real thing too. It's just kind of like the Houston-based or Texas-based argument. I will say I feel like in a kind of a larger conversation that Houston, more than any other Texas city, is starting to turn a corner in terms of how it is regarded outside of Texas. There have even been big trend stories like in GQ about how cool Houston is now. Houston is cool, actually. Um, and Houston artists don't seem to get too bent out of shape about these kind of, you know, issues that we're talking about in terms of how they're regarded, you know, based on where they live or where they got their MFAH. I mean, that's one of the things that's cool about Houston, actually. But um, every city, all, all of the big markets in Texas, they do have these various kinds of things. So Dallas has... Again, the Dallas Art Fair. Houston doesn't have a great art fair. It does have Photo Fest, which is very respectable. It's quite niche. I mean, it's photography specifically. The Sculpture Month Houston, I think, has been 
primed to become this kind of potentially really explosively cool thing that people would come in uh, for from out of state as long as the art was really strong, as long as the silos were used really well, as long as the rest of Houston is used really, really well. And another thing is I've heard people from LA or from New York say that the one thing that they know about Houston's art scene is the core residency program, the core program, of course, through the MFAH, um, but that that's kind of one of the things that manages to get its tendrils out there into other communities. Yeah, and it's that's true. And although almost everyone knows what the Manila is, every time I mention Houston to anyone, anywhere, it's the Manila that comes up. And the Manila is one of my favorite museums. The Manila, oh, I gotta, gotta go to the museum. I haven't been to the Manila yet. I gotta go. It's like, yeah, you do. But... Almost every city seems to have kind of its little calling card. And, uh, you know, Austin is often named as, like, the cool city. A lot of people actually do make their pilgrimage to Marfa, even if they're international. You see international people in Marfa all the time. But I'm just curious. Like, one of the one of the um, proposals in this essay from 2018 is instead of spending $450 million on a campus expansion, what if you paid 45 artists, commissioned 45 artists, to each make a $10 million work of art, uh, a public piece. Um, that would be extraordinary. I mean, $10 million uh, to 45 different artists to put arts everywhere all over Houston, including in the various even sub- suburban communities, could be an explosively cool thing. It would be like Houston becomes a year-round documenta or something like that. People would show up. And you could you could hire, I mean, you could... You could commission Houston artists as well as national and international artists. There's no reason every single one of those 45 would have to be Houston artists, although I think many of them should be um, and are up to the task. But, I mean, there there are different ways of... And then there's an argument. uh, Robert Boyd, who... um, uh, is uh, a sometime contributor to Glass Tire. He put in the comment section that he just doesn't feel like taking art to the suburbs is a particularly useful thing. It doesn't tend to work, although you're arguing for the idea that possibly as a young person you would have benefited from having more art in and around Sugarland. I don't know if I would have uh, benefited from having more visual art in Irving. I don't. I can't tell you. I think it's one of those things that if it were done well and thoroughly it might take a little time to really dig in and for the community to see the benefit but it's almost it's almost one of those things that would end up benefiting the community and i think those outposts like if it were an mfah outpost in sugarland and mfah outpost in pearland they would be able to kind of adapt a little bit to the community while still showing really high caliber thoughtful exhibitions and pieces from the collection and it would you know it would take time but it would end up working and it would be a valued thing within that community then and it would promote travel to other communities people in houston suburbs if they're traveling to other areas of houston i feel like they're probably most likely traveling either to the city of houston or to galveston or they're visiting family in whatever other area of houston there is but people from sugarland aren't driving to pearland for anything cultural generally or people from Galveston aren't driving to Katy to go see art or plays or anything but if you made something like this that had it was like an octopus that had arms everywhere that had high quality things or high quality events exhibitions whatever I think it would promote that kind of cross city dialogue that doesn't really happen it's all either from the center out or from out to the center Mm. 
Um, yeah, having a sort of PS1 in Sugarland would certainly be an interesting exercise. Uh, I, you know, I, I think that also what we don't want to do is, for anyone listening, you know, $450 million is a lot of money. One of her proposals is actually you could build Millennium Park. I don't think you could build Millennium Park these days for $450 million. I think it would cost double that at least. But, you know, the idea of a, a big kind of architecturally important, impressive, giant gathering place like Chicago has. There's no doubt that Millennium Park is incredibly successful. Houston doesn't have Mm -hmm. a Millennium Park. Uh, Dallas doesn't necessarily either, although Dallas really ramped up its idea about its arts visibility by having all these architects build our arts district. And then Calatrava, we've got two Calatrava bridges, etc. I don't even know how ultra accessible or friendly that makes Dallas as an arts destination. But there is a real argument for cities, municipalities spending a lot of money on visual arts. It seems to be very good for the bottom line of a city. Um, It's good for education. It's good for uh, youth outreach. It's good for just about everything, actually. Um, It's just a financially sound investment. Um, so anyone who's listening saying, well, why don't we take $450 million and feed people who are starving? Yes, of course, we need to do that as well. This is not a zero-sum game. We're really talking about uh, an investment in a bigger idea. Now, at one point, um, it was after the last Texas Biennial, which is um, organized by Big Medium in Austin and was held in Austin this last time, Um Rainy and I did an art dirt about Texas Biennial and what it could be um, if it were really, really funded by the state of Texas and how that could end up being um, a pretty impressive uh, event that would draw a lot of visitors from a lot of places. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you think of that? I do agree that that is something that could, I mean, help propel. However, I feel like if if no one cares about Texas art, having a big exhibition of Texas art isn't going to be the thing to change that. You know, I I feel like if Texas artists or uh, institutions in Texas aren't getting recognition by uh, people in New York, people in L.A., national, international press, you know, we obviously at Glass Tire try and do everything we can do. But if it's not getting that recognition anyways, then it's not really going to make a difference whether there's a big exhibition or a small exhibition of Texas art, Texas biennial type things. I do think something like the Texas biennial, we're not going to get into this conversation again, but should essentially be the best of the best, just how the Whitney biennial is the best of the best of American art or the new and exciting stuff of American art. Um, it blends kind of the new and exciting and the younger with people who really kind of are the best of the best, like Nicole Isaman this year or Pope L in uh, the last Whitney Biennial. You know, it has this draw to it that's more than just the new and the exciting. So people, uh, again, I don't mean to keep picking on Trenton, but people like Trenton need to be part of the Texas Biennial, which would also kind of help propel everything forwards a little bit. It shouldn't just be whoever submits. It should be people who are invited and have money behind it to kind of accompany, you know, someone who's more established and has a name 
to allow them to be able to do a real project and a real installation that might kind of bring some eyes. At the same time, I might, I know I'm just going to undercut myself again and say if there's a big exhibition of Texas art, it doesn't matter if no one's paying attention to Texas art. You know, it could be opened up uh, a little bit more widely to in, kind of embrace s- specific themes or subjects or ideas. I think of Prospect New Orleans as something that people do oh, actually yeah. put on their calendars and go to. Um, that's a triennial. And it's just because it takes place in New Orleans, which is a very interesting city and a uh, very tourist-friendly city. You know, that's very helpful. I'm not saying that Houston is or isn't that. It's not as known for being a cool tourist city, obviously. But um, something similar to Prospect New Orleans could take place in the state of Texas. And it almost, to me, it almost doesn't matter which of the cities it would be in, although Houston may be the most obvious one. But that's an idea, too. I, you know, when I think about what would really put Texas as a state on the art map, we keep running into the problem of the fact that, and we talk about this a lot, that Texas is actually a lot of different states uh, rolled into under one umbrella. This, you know, the state of Texas is five or six or seven regions with very mm-hmm. different personalities. We've gone over that. And trying to pull it all under one umbrella is, is difficult. And people from other parts of the country don't necessarily see Dallas as being the same as Houston or Houston being the same as Marfa or Marfa being the same as Tyler, if they've even heard of Tyler. Um, you know, so I don't know that it's even, I mean, maybe the folly is trying to make Texas just be one big place in terms of identity uh, rather than acknowledging the fact that you can't you can't herd cats you know and that's kind of what (laughs) covering art in Texas is like we're herding cats the whole time yeah well the easy I mean I feel like the one easy critique of the conversation that we're having is how do we make Texas an international arts destination if there is one place in Texas that is an international arts destination like you said earlier it is Marfa I mean, people far and wide who are really, you know, into the arts and coming to Texas to see art will make the trip to Marfa before they'll make the trip anywhere else because it has the kind of special je ne sais quoi of it's Texas. It is um, a place that you have to go, you know. None of the work is ever going to travel in Marfa. It's all site-specific. You have to go see it. It has the kind of perfect romanticism of what Texas is, so you can have your cake and eat it too. It is a thing that makes Texas an international arts destination. It's interesting. It kind of undercuts the title of our this conversation. Yeah, but it's it's so tiny, and it's so far west, and people who go to Marfa don't necessarily add other cities to their itinerary, other Texas cities to their itinerary. I also say that that you know marfa is a kind of an arts destination for just almost um the art purist yeah yeah or general interest art lovers you know who just kind of do these summer pilgrimages to various places i mean they'll also go see like heitzer's double negative or something like that but in terms of like where does the art world descend upon at any given time where wheeling and dealing takes place where collectors and artists and dealers and museums, curators, writers, you know, everyone comes together and there's a kind of almost a growing consensus as these people hobnob. Uh, I would say Marfa doesn't tend to fill that role particularly. Well, so if that's going to be the classification of this, do we even need to talk about or consider the big like 
festivals that we were talking about? Because I thought when we were going to start this conversation that we were going to kind of build upon the sense that, you know, like if Sculpture Month Houston and we had a really good art fair that happened at the same time and Photo Fest happened at the same time and there was like, you know, almost like a, a the, like the grand tour every 10 years in Europe of uh, Documenta, the mm-hmm. Venice Biennial and uh, the Munster sculpture, whatever mm-hmm. event in Germany. Um, if we had something like that, it would be a destination. But where I almost see this going more is just that if we have more and there's good wheeling and dealing, it ends up being a place that people want to come because it's cool. Well, there's different ways of you know of of defining what an art destination is. I mean, Miami's an art destination now, and it's a, a destination because of Miami Basel. Mm-hmm which is a wheeling and dealing thing. It's also a place for Lucky Lou's to go kick some tires. But, you know, there there's different forms of uh, attraction, different ways of attracting different kinds of crowds. I think Houston is primed to kind of um, reach some new phase. It just needs... It needs a bigger draw. I think I think that's a good idea. Having three or four or five different major events all happening at the same time, that's one almost surefire way to get it done. Well, and to promote Cross Texas, it's like if the Dallas Art Fair was the weekend of April, I don't know, 13th and 14th, and then the next weekend was an art fair in Houston, during which was Photo Fest, during which was Sculpture Month Houston, during which... You know, and it was all kind of lined up so that if people did come to Texas, they could go from one city to the other and kind of get their fill. And it could turn into a little mini grand tour. Right. Contemporary Art Month would be happening in San Antonio during that same time. Uh, The Texas Biennial would take place in Austin at the same time, etc. Sure, that would that would work. So that's a whole (laughs) that's a lot of chefs in the kitchen. I don't see (laughs) I don't see our grand vision happening anytime soon, but it is a conversation that I think could keep happening. And it's not. It's not a bad one. Uh, if you had $450 million to spend uh, in Houston on an art initiative, what would you do with it? Oh, geez. I can't even... I mean, I do have to say, giving that money... I, I feel like I would split it up a little. I feel like I would use some of that to build some outposts, not even necessarily as far as Sugarland. I mean, even if there were outposts just outside of the 610 loop, like in Bel Air or in, you know, any of these other neighborhoods that aren't just the most immediate central, because generally speaking, all of our museums and cultural institutions are pretty central, and especially as Houston goes (laughs) in the sprawl of Houston. Um, I feel like I would devote some of that to spreading it out a little bit and spreading out the cultural institution love, which I think would make Houston a prime... uh, venue for something like Prospect New Orleans because then there would be kind of these built-in spaces and then if a museum like the Hub Museum like the MFH would host that sort of show or traveling event it would be something that's kind of has has this built-in geography around it while you could also take advantage of the weird unused spaces around Houston but then I would definitely give some of that money to artists and I would give artists I mean if we had 20 10 million dollar art projects, uh, public art projects around Houston. I mean, I think that would make a ripple in the water out of anything. It, mm-hmm. It's, I mean, that's like a, a huge initiative project of public art that I, I don't know if that's paralleled anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I agree. Or if you gave 200 artists a million dollars each, I know so many local artists, local to Texas, that could do amazing things with half of that budget. Um, and there are also, I mean, national artists uh, and international artists that would be able to do a really good, high-quality project with a million-dollar budget because that's a, a lot of money for public art, depending on what you're doing, of course. And... And some of this could be permanent, and some of this could be temporary installation. Mm-hmm. What would what would you do with four hundred and fifty million dollars in the landscape of Houston? Oh well, like I said toward the beginning of this podcast, my favorite uh, uh, possibility that Rainy names in her essay is definitely take all the money and give it to artists to make big public artworks all over the city. The no zoning here is just a. I mean, what a boon. It's so awesome. You can really you can really exploit that in Houston in a way that you can't in the other Texas cities. I think the, the, the artists in Texas and beyond would be up to the task and would do some amazing things. And um, I mean, this is just me being a fan of artists. I just I, I, and I, if you could trust a stewardship of like the MFAH to shepherd in, I, I mean, I'm going to put quotes around this, the right kind of projects. I mean, we're talking about the right artists, the smart, rigorous artists who would bring the right kinds of projects to these various communities and do their homework. I mean, they would visit the communities before they ever got there. And some of them would actually be of the communities themselves, you know. I mean, have artists who are from different parts of Houston build the work for their own neighborhoods. Um, I love that idea. I think it would be phenomenal. I think that uh, the state of Texas, as well as various kinds of capital campaigns, could raise that money. And I think uh, to see that happen would be an astonishing thing in my lifetime. I would love it. Texas is so ripe for this kind of thing. We have so many artists here. We do have art scenes. You know, you named Ohio and Iowa, and I'm not, you know, that that's fine to name these other states, but... Texas is incredibly rich compared to those two states in terms of its art output and its art uh, potential. And I don't like seeing it untapped, I suppose, which is what makes this conversation interesting to me. A lot of what we're really talking about is money, which is, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, makes the, the conversation contentious almost from the get-go. So... But, you know, it's food for thought. And I'm sure there are a lot of things we didn't think of or talk about. Uh, If any of you out there listening have your own ideas about anything that we said that seems like a really good idea or a really bad idea, we'd love for you to uh, chime in and uh, let us know what you think. And that's by no means the end of the conversation, but it's the end of the conversation. It's the end of the conversation for now. So that is it for this Sunday. We hope that you have a good start to your October and uh, go see some art. Go see some art. <laughs>